Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Posting and Toasting Show. I'm Drew. Schwinn's here. What up, Schwinn? What up, what up, what up, what up? And I am, in case you guys were wondering, I did survive the wilderness. I know no one really cares, but just want to let you guys know, like, I'm back. Everything's good. And on today's episode, we have two very special guests. Well, one special guest, one person who, uh, I'm upset that he's on the show a bit. So the first person is uh, Stink. Welcome back, Stink. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> and our esteemed colleague who is joining us is the professor of posting toasting himself, Matthew Miranda. What up, professor? How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking. I'm like uh, Stink. asking you. <laughs> Who's he asking then? Just saying it. Oh, he was just saying he was just being polite. Yeah, man, shut up. Well, at least he's fucking polite. You're just yeah. a shit scumbag. Fuck you. Yeah, you're the <laughs> one who doesn't know how to turn off his uh his Skype screen for some reason. I thought you should look at me. I'm beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's that, it. That is true. That is. I true. mean, that's true, but no, no one wants to look at you at a uh, 9:30 at night while you're holding a microphone because your stand doesn't work. Don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to hold the mic because it reminds him of when he was an MC. Sick, you go do some bars for us? Yeah, I'll get a drink. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what are we drinking? Do a shot in the beer Henny. and get lost. Henny. We're doing Henny. Yeah. Okay. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, can you spot me, though? What you, yeah, what do you need? Were you over a Henny guy? Five bucks, ten bucks? Nah, not really. Wait, Swin, I thought you were rolling in that big online gambling money. What's this having a <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's huge, but you know, I gotta keep it. I gotta keep the uh, keep the funds free. You know? oh, you never know. Bets, I forgot to uh, I forgot to make the bet in Vegas for the Knicks to make the playoffs. I'm pretty upset with myself. You never. I mean, the thing is, when the juice is running on you, it's hard. You know. You know. Some of us, some of us are just out here like Adam Sandler and uncut gems. So stuff. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah, all I did was um, I put twenty bucks on a four on the number four on the roulette table, and I was two away from four, and it really hurt. And the guy laughed at me, which was pretty funny. He just started like laughing in my face. I'm like, thanks, uh, roulette guy. And then I played a little uh, slots because I had some extra cash in my pocket. I'm like, yeah, let's try the slots. You gotta, you gotta put craps, man. Yeah, I was. I don't really know how to. So. Oh man, speaking of craps, yo. I just saw um, a picture of that Kent State gun girl. She had shit herself at a party. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Talking about craps. Oh, my God. It was all down uh, her entire legs. A pile. A pi- she had fell down on her face uh, drunk. <laughs> and she had just a pile of shit all the way down her legs, down to the middle, like mm, about her knees, maybe a little past. All nice. shit. So much shit. It was like Honestly, it looked kind of satisfying. Like it just like a shit out her bowels. Yeah, man. Like she had an enema or something. It, it was a lot of shit. Maybe she did. Maybe she had like a beer enema. Yeah, maybe. You never know. Some uh, some natty ice. Like when yeah. she's uh. You think she drinks natty ice or uh or Miller Lite? Uh, or I feel Keystone. like natty ice is kind of like uh, feels kind of Canadian. That's so I'm true. gonna say no. Yeah, nat- Natty is the uh, the Midwest cheap beer of choice, so I'm gonna go with Natty. I know that or PBR, usually the Midwest cheap beer of choice. All right, this has gone on long enough. Yeah, Come this on. has gone on. Come long on, enough. host. Okay, Fuck yeah, sorry. Take about control that. here. Listen, I'm uh, I'm a little rusty. It's been a, it's been a week. Mm-hmm. You know, 
like a rusty nail. That's a that's a good drink we can get at the bar we're going. Enough, to. enough, <laughs> stink, enough. That's all right. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. We just well, everyone except for me watched the Knicks beat the Heat um, by three points. RJ Barrett was was great. I um, and didn't get a chance to watch it because I was doing some stuff around the house, and then. Yeah, pretty much. And then I realized, like, oh, the Knicks are playing well. I don't want to jinx anything. Like, R.J. Barrett was doing well from what I saw online, and Knox was playing well. I'm like, I'm not jinxing it. They came back and won. They beat the Heat. Jimmy Butler was not good in the fourth quarter, which really helped. And R.J. Barrett was absolutely excellent. He had a he had a wonderful, wonderful game. And it's just great to see. Just like, you know, you like Frank's out, Marcus Morris is out, and he helped carry the team to a, uh, a victory. Not just on offense, but primarily on defense, from what I heard. I'm going to let, you know, Schwinn, Stink, and uh, Professor kind of take over to add a little more contact context for uh, for this. Yeah, uh, so, I don't know. I, I tweeted after the game, I thought this was I thought this was easily his best game. Uh, as a Nick, anyway. Um, he was, So he was 7 of 10, 23 points, 8 of 10 from the free throw line. Um, didn't really feel like he was forcing anything. Um, I think maybe like one of his threes I thought was a little unnecessary, but other than that, I, I, I thought he played a pretty in control game. Um, I really enjoyed him just like having Hero on him in the second half and just immediately taking him down on the block. Uh, just bullied him into the <laughs> like all the way under the rim for an and one. Um, I, I thought that was really great. Um, and then defensively, like. I mean, he had two steals, but, like, forget that. I, if you just go back and watch it, like, I can't... The amount of screens he was fighting over, and just, like, not even over, like, on possessions, he was... I mean, there were possessions where he's coming over, fighting over three, four, or five screens. Like, you know, you're defending Tyler Hero, you're defending Kendrick Nunn, you're defending all these guys that can, like, just come off screens. And, I mean, Miami's entire offense is, like, this never-ending fucking maze of screening action so um yeah i mean he just he was like he was all over it and i mean he played for he played the entire second half i'm pretty sure no no rest um which like you know see when if the game is actually close fans won't lose their fucking mind over shit like that um but yeah no it was i mean look he was if you're gonna get that out of him on any night if that's like kind of the, the long-term goal for him, what we kind of think he can grow into. I mean, that type of player is extremely valuable in this league. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was... I, I honestly can't say... I mean, I think Butler was, like, kind of checking him down the stretch. And what I really liked is, like, RJ was... He wasn't forcing it there. Like, he he would draw um, Butler and whoever the big was kind of onto him and then get it over to Randall. And let Randall cook. So um, I don't know. I just really liked how he played, and I thought that he let everything come to him. wasn't forcing it too much. wasn't trying so hard to, to score or anything. It was just all very much within the flow. And yeah, it was just great stuff. I, I was very happy watching him play today. There were three things about Barrett that really stood out to me in the game. Beyond Schwinn said one being um, forty minutes and no turnovers. Um, in a game where he was handling the ball a lot, driving in the traffic a lot, and, th- and taking on a lot of pressure and didn't turn it over once. He also had this pretty nice 
offhand, wrong-footed dunk um, on a breakaway, which always he's always a bit more athletic than I. I can go a while and forget that he's athletic because he's strong and he's not. He's athletic in a in a way that is not. It's not like Sprewell. It's not like um, I don't know who else you think of as like a great Nick athlete. Um, Nate Robinson. He's not like off the ground exposed, but I've seen in a couple of his games recently on end ones, on that dunk, on some layups, like some real, like real moments of striking athleticism, which um, it's just always beautiful to watch and bodes well for him. And I, I don't know if this matters, especially because they won, so like everything seems to make a certain sense. But when he got the, he missed a free throw late, which he's done before, and he got a rebound after that. And when they came to, when Miami swarmed him. Like he wasn't, he didn't panic, like dribble into a, a corner. He didn't look to pass it. He just, he almost to a fault, he stood there waiting to get fouled because he wanted to go back to the line and he missed mm-hmm. it. And like, it's not, you know, maybe it's much easier a bit, but I like that your young 19 year old, one of the only pieces that you know is a piece maybe going forward, like already wants that spot when you see guys much older who do not want that spot. Yeah, no, he's definitely not like scared of the moment. And I know he 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 split both of his late game trips to the line, but uh, I don't know. It, it, again, this is like reading body language and all that kind of bullshit. But like, it didn't seem like he was up there shooting his pants, right? Um, I just thought he missed a couple. Um, and yeah, like um, you know what you were saying about his athleticism. It's like. So what I think is that when he is when he gets ahead of steam and he's in the open floor, he can really elevate. Um, but like when he's in the half court and he's kind of like working his way through traffic and there's like contact and he can't just like fully gather himself and get a bunch of momentum. Um, he doesn't he doesn't have the same lift. Um, and so I mean that's just I that's all. Uh, I don't think it's like. That he's not an explosive. I mean, he's not an explosive athlete, I guess, in the half court is what I'm saying. But once you get him out in the open floor, I think that you can kind of, um, you can see a bit, bit more from him in that sense. Yeah, he doesn't have like that electric sort of quickness, but he absolutely can just ride somebody right under the goal, and I mean, from there he can elevate. I mean, and and he's he's big, so. I mean, yeah, he, he absolutely is athletic. It's just he's sort of a, uh, like a truck, basically, and he just brings people with him. I, I really didn't like that James Johnson foul, man. I know they called it a flagrant one, but I, I did not like that at all. I thought that was. I didn't think that was a flagrant. I thought that was. I think no, I don't think that's a flagrant. In, I mean, I don't think the Portis ones are. I didn't even think the one. Maybe the one against um, the KCP was a flagrant. Yeah, the KCP one was a flagrant. I yeah. thought the Utah one was not a flagrant. I just thought he like. I think that was his, his rep got that call. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like, I mean, if to me, if the KCP one is an ejection, that one was an ejection because he like grabs his arm. He's going full speed. He grabs his arm and like, I mean, I, I get what he's trying to do. He's he's not really trying to hurt him, right? Like, I I get that. He's just trying to prevent the layup essentially. But like, you know, <laughs> the what it ends up in is like a play that could have really been bad if RJ lands wrong. Because uh, he was, you know, he's in he's in midair. He's fully off the ground. He's going completely towards the rim. Um, like that that could have been messy. And I I don't even think I don't think like 
James Johnson was trying to be do anything dirty or anything like that. I just think that yeah, I just think it's like a bad play. But like I really don't think Portis was doing anything dirty on KCP's play either. I just think he is an idiot and like <laughs> made a silly, stupid, dangerous play. Uh, Portis, I felt like Portis was just like super frustrated and was just like, I'm hitting this guy. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's possible. But like, I I just thought the James Johnson one was like the same thing. I just didn't like it because more because of like, I mean, like I said, I, I thought that could have ended very badly. Um, happy it didn't. And I, like I said, I don't really think. I, I definitely don't think James Johnson was like trying to take his ass out or anything like that. But no. it is what it is. I would have to admit definite like MMA bias. Like I would call it just because I feel like, oh, that's that MMA motherfucker. That's got to be a flagrant. Like he must mean it. He must know what he's doing. There's no. Oh, way. he knows what he's. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Like he's. I don't know, man. I would. I have to admit, if I was a ref, I would like kick James Johnson out of every game on any questionable call. <laughs> they're trying to tell people up. Get out. Just no matter what, just like yeah, no, we don't trust you. You're done. Not at all. See, that's how I feel about Bobby Portis, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I want Portis out of every game. But you yeah. wouldn't want that if he was not like if he was on the Wizards and he played for the Wizards. You would want Bobby Portis to be on the floor all the time. Yeah, but he doesn't play for the Wizards. Right. So what I'm saying is, it has nothing to do with who Bobby Portis is. It's just because he plays for the Knicks. <laughs> I want him. No, I, no. If he played for the Wizards, he would have deserved to get booted for taking KCP's head off. But since he plays for the Knicks, he really should be ejected every game <laughs> pretty much instantaneously. As soon as he gets his little post up, that's it. You got to go. God, yeah, he I'm hit, gonna, he hit his first post up today. Ugh. I hated I hated that he hit his first post up today. Yeah, I was just disgusted. It was such a disgusting, ridiculous post up too, and I'm just, I was so mad it worked. Yeah, I'm just I'm definitely over uh, Portis, but hopefully, you know, we'll get into it eventually about players we want to be gone and not gone. Do you know what? Uh, since RJ has uh, since RJ missed the Nets game back in late. November. Do you know what he's shooting from the line? Anyone take a guess? Seventy-five. Close. He's shooting a perfect sixty-nine percent from the line, which is very nice. Very nice. It's just great to see because he's just really improved. Like you know, he had an awful, you know, free throw shooting at the beginning of the year, and it's really been like a nice uptick. And if he can get up to like seventy-five, between that seventy-five and eighty percent range, it'll be really good for him because he gets to the line so much, and it's just great to see. Yeah. Eight of ten today. Yeah, he was eighty yep. percent. It was it was nice. So another player who was playing really well, and by playing really well, he was more or less making his shots, which was uh, Kevin Knox. He scored seventeen points on eight shots. He grabbed a couple of rebounds, um, had two assists, and he, from what I saw from like the highlights that I was watching on uh, NBA stats, stats, he didn't look like a uh, a lost giraffe on defense, which was pretty nice to uh. To see, but again, I want you guys to add a little more context to that and what you guys thought of uh of yeah, Nas overall. The second best plus minus on the team. He the did plus four, he, plus four yeah. behind Taj's uh, plus thirteen. Yeah, Taj was great today. He was really, really great. I don't know if he was just like super pumped to play Jimmy Butler or something, but yeah, he was awesome. He's had a good stretch here in yeah. the past uh, what whatever three games without Randall. He's been yeah. really on it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Professor, any thoughts on Knox? 
I was struck when they drafted Knox his first summer league. And you know what summer league, so what translates. But what struck me in his first summer league was that when he wasn't scoring, he was doing other things. And I thought, oh, my God, like it took Allen Houston like four or five years to figure that out. Like if Kevin Knox is already there, like that could be awesome. And I feel like I, I still feel like he's young enough and growing enough that I expect him to struggle, not always the way that he does, but like, I'm not concerned that he's where he is at this point, but I'm struck at the kind of schism in the number of games where, you know, Mike Breen is talking about Kevin Knox upping up his, his rebounds. And then the number of games where he's not doing anything like the shots, not there. And he's not, he's getting torched by somebody on, on defense and he's not really rebounding and he's not a playmaker. And I, I don't want to react because I feel like I wanted to give Frank till year four and I should give Knox probably the same amount of time to really have a judgment. But I'm struck in this game. You're like, wow, 20 minutes. Look at everything that he did. He had a couple of threes. He had five rebounds. He was scoring. And then I want to see him do this like three games in a row. Four games, and he doesn't. And I don't know if that's, well, okay, he's 20, you know, and or if it's, you just don't have it. I still don't, I still have no idea what to make of Knox, but he played very well last night. So, like, I think with most uh, players, you know, so th- the way I view, like, draft picks in general is usually a draft pick is the most valuable it will be, um, you know, bef- right before you, you actually use it on a player. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's, like, the most valuable it'll be. And then as soon as... That, that ninth pick in the draft, as soon as it becomes attached to a name, Kevin Knox, it, it like immediately loses value. Um, because like now it's a defined, like, you know, asset. It's, it's not this nebulous thing with unknown value or, you know, like it's not a mystery box anymore. Um, so, you know, unless you pick somebody like that just hits the ground running, uh, like, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander, to use, uh, you know, the, the player that for some reason everybody now says is such an obvious pick that the Knicks didn't make, even though at the time I don't think anybody fucking was like crying about not taking Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, it, it's like, you know, it, it immediately, like, you, everyone, it's like automatically has less value than it did before. So Kevin Knox, if we drafted Mikhail Bridges, it'd be the same thing. If we drafted Miles Bridges, it'd be the same fucking thing. None of these guys would be as valuable as ninth pick in the draft um so like i just if okay if we were a good team then i would understand why people are like we got to trade this guy we got to get what we can for him we got to cut our losses he sucks and he's always going to suck so like let's just get rid of him um but we're not like we are rebuilding even the people that want to trade kevin knox kind of like accept that we we're rebuilding so i don't understand like you know, you don't make money buying high and selling low, right? Like, that's not what you do. You have to <laughs> give shit time. Like, if you buy a stock and then it goes down 10% in a, like, in two weeks, the dumbest thing you can do in that moment is to immediately cut your losses, right? Like, if you had an idea of what something was going to be three, four years down the line, then, it, like, then give it that time. Right, like we were told that when they drafted Kevin Knox, it was this project. It was a project. It's gonna take time. 
blah, 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 blah. Even Calipari was like, he's probably going to suck his first couple of years. Right. Like he said that flat out said that. Um, so like, I'm not really that surprised that Kevin Knox sucks right now. Maybe there, there are definitely times where I'm like, wow, he sucks so fucking hard right now and I'll kill myself. Um, but like, I just didn't think he was going to be good. I said repeatedly that I thought year three would be like really the time that he was going to be, you know, that's when I really expect him to like be a, hopefully like, you know, uh, a solid rotation player. And then from there, he can keep growing. But like his first two years, like, first of all, you just look at him. It's so obvious he's uncomfortable in his body. Like he's not grown into it physically fully yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, like you can just see it in him, right? He's still like, like you said, like he looks like this fucking gangly giraffe or whatever. And he needs time to grow into that. Like I, I think we saw that last year with Frank too, where like he was, kind of still growing into his body and his movement wasn't really fluid and it's like you draft like they're not everybody's gonna be fucking rj barrett okay they're not everybody's gonna come in with an nba ready body that's just not how it works when you draft 18 like literally when we drafted kevin knox he was 18 right mm-hmm. i think yeah. so yeah, yeah. And he was, frank 18. was also 18. frank was eight. yeah frank was also 18 like you draft kids that young like you know not everybody, like, again, like, it, you look at most people when they're 18, they're not, like, grown, full, like, they're not fully grown into their bodies yet. And so, it sounds like you're making an excuse, but, like, really, it's just kind of understanding, okay, like, what are the factors of this guy sucking, okay? So, like, that is one. But what concerns me the most with Knox isn't, like, that so much, because I can get over that. I think they're, you know, that that affects, I think, like, his finishing on the rim, how good his handle is, um, how he moves. Like, I, that, like that, that's fine. I, I'm totally understanding that. What worries me with him is more like the, the, like the games where you're just like, what the, f-? like, you have, what, what are you doing for me other than your shot, other than when you're scoring well? Okay. Cause you're not going to have, everybody's going to have nights where you're not scoring well. Okay. So what, what can you do? that gives you value that doesn't make you a total negative when you're not scoring well. And as of yet, we haven't seen Knox develop a skill like that. We, we just haven't. And like, yes, there are sometimes he makes some flashy blocks and like, you know, sometimes he'll get a couple of steals or whatever, just cause he's so long. Mm-hmm. And, but it's like, it's not consistently there and then there are just so many times it's like how many fucking times you need to let the guy drive on you baseline in the corner how many fucking times is that gonna happen like how many times are you just gonna stand in the lane like totally unaware of where your man is then the ball goes to your man and you like run out on him but because you have to fucking sprint out on him because you were cluelessly standing somewhere in the first place you just give up a blow by and he goes in for an easy dunk like this stuff happens all the time with him and like it's better than it was last year but that's not really like you know that's not the standard right it's just better than it was last year he's still a fucking terrible defender and you know i just i i worry because to go from where he is right now to like an accept acceptably bad defender it's still a ways to go and it's like you know whatever but i mean again like i don't i just don't see the purpose in trading him right now um, I think that we finally have a coach who like, yes, his minutes distribution is a little bit weird, but I think he actually is using the younger players when he, they're on the floor in better ways. 
Um, so like, I just think it's worth it for us to, you know, stick with it for now and see what ends up happening because, um, you know, what do you even, what would you get for Knox right now? Nothing. That's kind of the issue is that you're right? not really going to get anything for him that's even of a, a value because he's playing, I don't want to say so poorly, but like, he you is. know that he's, he's playing like fucking shit. Well, he's, yeah, no. he, he's been playing like shit for the last, what, month? No, what I mean, what I mean is that like <laughs> he, he's improved year over year, but it's still not necessarily good, right? I think that's kind of how I wanted to, uh, to phrase it. And because of that, you're not going to get anything. And you're basically looking like, right, you can't trade him to a winning team because he's not going to contribute to winning. You need to trade him to a rebuilding team who's believing in his potential. And if that's the case, there's no point that in, uh, in trading him and you just wait till like year three and year four to see like what he actually becomes. Because when it comes to projects, we ca- we're seeing it now with, uh, with Frank now that like Miller's the coach, everything, he's really starting to kind of figure out his body. He's, he's passing a lot better with the pick and rolls. Miller's been playing him with Mitchell, which has allowed him to like attack the rim, get fouled. Hey, Mitch, Mitch looked like shit without Frank today. Just saying, bro. That is, uh, that's true. I only saw that he only had one shot, which was, that's not good, <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you just, you kind of just see that like, you know, Miller's been putting everyone in better situations and you just got to wait to like, honestly, just like year four and just kind of go from there. It's like, there's no point in, uh, I don't know. You just can't trade a young player who's playing poorly and expect anything in return. Like if you want to give up on someone, kind of like Dennis Smith, I get it. You just, you know, throw him in, you know, hoping a team is like, oh, okay, we'll try him out. But other than that, like, you're not going to get anything and it's, it's, there's no point. And Do you think ultimately he needs to play the four? Do you think he can be a three? No, I think he's going to be a. I, I think he can play like the three if he plays with another forward that kind of like is his size and yeah, like if it like Morris, right? Like ideally, like I think they could play together, right? Because they're like you can kind of switch and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I think he's more of a four than he is a three. Like yeah. his advantage is offensively to me is I don't think he's ever going to be like some super shifty ball handler. Um, but I think he can, like at the four, he should have a quickness advantage. Um, and like if his shooting, I still believe in the shot. I gotta say, like, mm-hmm. I think he's just in a big slump, but like the form looks fine to me. Uh, it's like what you can, he's not confident right now. So like sometimes when he shoots, he doesn't kind of stay with the shot when he follows through. It's like he puts it up and you can almost just tell like he's hoping it in versus like shooting mm-hmm. it. Um, and whatever, but like, yeah, I, I still believe in the shot. So I think at the four, you have a quickest advantage. You can spread the floor easier. Um, and I think defensively, he's actually a bit better around the rim than when you have him like running around outside trying to fight over, fight over screens and shit. Um, he does need to get a, the biggest thing, like if he could just become a better rebounder, it would, it would make, a lot so much easier for him it would make it so much easier to buy it buy into him as a four right because like if he can get get you rebounds that gives you that gives you like okay if he can shoot and if he can rebound that gives you value a very specific value to be clear but like it gives you value on both ends of the floor so you can like work with that right whereas right now it's always it's really like well hopefully Knox has a good shooting game because I don't know what the fuck else we're gonna get from him um yeah I mean it's it's fine. Yeah, I think he's more of a four, though. I do. Stink, you wanna you wanna chime in a bit? You've been a little quiet. Oh, um, what was that about? 
Kevin Knox. Yeah, Knox, man. No, he, he stinks right now, but he's fine. Uh, give him to the end of his contract, see where he's at. I have no problem uh, letting pretty much everyone on the team get to the to like 26. Pay them that money to get them, except for Trier. Everyone else can get to about 26. And like, let's see what we have then. Because right now you're just trying to like cobble together like these mercenary veterans who clearly are not in your long term plan i guess you know the thought is maybe randall is in your long term but yeah uh, i mean yeah if you know if you're going to play both sides of the fence uh you know play them both all the way out i think and knox is 20 years old uh he's never had to box out before so he doesn't know how to rebound um he can shoot i'm perfectly i agree like perfectly fine with that he'll, he'll figure it out when he's not in the slump i mean he's 20 and he, he likes to play video games and like i think his dad was his dad a, a football player a professional yeah. football player mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. i mean like you know he he came up like whatever not not so hard let's say and you know he might have not ever really had to fight for something so this might be his first like real adversity um, yeah, and I mean he's 20 years old. I, I honestly, whatever. Give him. I would give him his next contract uh, when it's time to. I mean, assuming it's not like some crazy number. Uh, when it's next time to to resign. Uh, I'm not really worried about him. I'm not trying yeah. to uh, pay him a million. Uh, well, a million's a lot to me. But uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to max him. But uh, the point remains, he's fine. Yeah, that's no like good. I'm. I'm happy you brought up like the the mental side of it because I think that's like a very real like you know okay so when you, like Frank so what thing one thing with like KP and Frank when they were he, like when he when uh you know when K Dickface was here um but like when we drafted them those guys have been pros already for what like three four or five years um mm-hmm. so I think like they are entered with just a more maturity like kind of you know. Europe, European pro isn't quite NBA pro, but it's like pretty damn fucking close, right? In terms of kind of like the expectation and what you're dealing with and all that stuff. And it's um, certainly further along than the NCAA. Yeah. Or, I mean, AAU for sure. Um, well, and yeah. then NCAA. And then like, and then RJ is just a freak because like, I mean, the guy's basically just lived around pros his entire life and he's just like a maniacal, I mean, it, I, I, when, I, I really don't know if he has any interest other than basketball. He uh, probably doesn't. Yeah, I don't think he does, and that's fine, I he's, guess. He's but... really into getting free shoes from Puma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, yeah, so, man. So, like, he's a bit more maniacal, right? But, like, when I watch, like, Mitch and Kevin, like, they are just different. Like, they are so much more... I don't want to say immature because that's like it, that comes across as you kind of calling them like, you know, like they don't work hard or anything, but they are still like so they're so like childish almost like they remind me of like me in college or some shit. Right. Like Kevin's just like, yeah, cause yeah, they would man. be in college. Normally. Right, right. But that's that's my point, though. It's like 
like they're still so young and like being like they're not even really young adults yet you know like they are young adults but they're just entering that young adult when i was fucking 20 dude i didn't know what happened like most friday nights i woke up at like 10 a.m on saturday morning and i was like yeah what happened (laughs) oh uh so i'm in bed let me check my pocket oh wallet cell phone we're good good night good job um you know what i mean like and so with like kevin he's always talking about like oh like he loves fortnite he loves video games and like that's what he does and it's like like what he said he's like yeah you know on new year's on new year's eve he was just shooting around the practice facility with like his sister or whatever and it's like he's just so he's like such a baby and it's like all he really wants to do is like get his shots up in practice or whatever and then like go play fortnite and like mitch is like you know mitch is just doing random mitch shit and i think he's like kind of growing out of his shell for the first time maybe in his life but like you know he's figuring it out too and like he's just such a fundamentally raw player on top of that so like yeah like there obviously there are stretches where mitch he's just such a freak that like he in spite of those things he can dominate a game or dominate a stretch of games um but like you know right now we've like said like three or four kind of meh games in a row um and that's fine like you know it's it's cool like that that's kind of what is the case for most 20-year-olds. Most 20-year-olds aren't fucking Luka Doncic. Most 20-year-olds aren't Jaron Jackson Jr. Most 20-year-olds aren't John Morant. Like, those are exceptions. Like, those guys are, you know, studs. They're studs. But, like, there are, look at the best players in the NBA right now. A bunch of them weren't studs when they were 20, right? Like, Giannis wasn't a stud when he was 20. What the fuck was Jimmy Butler when he was 20? He was, like, what? A, a, I think he was still in Butler. Yeah, he was, like, a redshirt freshman. I mean, not Butler. Marquette. 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 There you go. Like there's like you look around the NBA. I mean, Dwayne Wade was just a guy at Marquette when he was 20, right? Steph like there, stud at 20. Sorry, who was it? Steph Curry was not a stud at 20. Right? Yeah, like it's you just you have to give this stuff time. I'm not and like honestly, trust me, I, I don't think that Kevin Knox is going to develop into like a star or anything. Um, but like, can he develop into? I don't know. Uh, like a high 30s, low 40s, like three point shooter who scores. Can he be like a Rashard Lewis type? Yeah. Sure. I don't think that's like an unrealist. Like maybe it's a, a if Maybe it's like a kind of like, I mean, I think people have outsized expectations for what they should land in the mid lottery, generally speaking. Um, but like, generally, if you get a Rashard Lewis level player or something at the ninth overall pick, yeah, that's a huge win. Like yeah, a you huge probably, win. You did all right there. So, we don't know what Knox is going to be. I don't know what Knox is going to be. I'm not even totally sold that I believe in Kevin Knox, but like, it doesn't matter if I believe him or not. Uh, there's like, what the fuck else are we doing right now if we're not trying to like develop our guys and like give them time and give them the benefit of the doubt? Uh, it, it like, can't strictly be let's just wait on our roster. We'll get a, a super duper mega star and then like, we can just get rid of everybody. Like, that's just not a, a, a feasible plan. It's not even a plan. That's not a plan. That's just like... Yeah. <laughs> that's just hoping. That's just yeah. wishful thinking. That's that's 2K, man. Like, oh, I'll just draft some guys and maybe a couple of them will pop and I'll clear out my cap space and because I'm in New York, someone will sign. And it's like, yeah, maybe, I guess. But like, you know wh- why somebody will sign? Is if you draft these guys, you fucking give them the time, you develop them, and all of a sudden you got a team then somebody's going to be like, wow, like this young Knicks team is pretty fun. Like, 
I want to go there and play with those. I want to be, I want to be the headline star with those guys. You know, like that, that is an attractive situation. Yeah, and I think and you I, can also I think, see that with guys like with teams like the Kings, right? Mm-hmm. So like obviously they're not special, but they started to put a, a few things together, and then it's like mm, maybe Harrison Barnes is like a piece that can. Well, speaking of Kevin Knox, but you know <laughs> may, maybe Harrison Barnes is like a guy that can kind of like cobble together those those you know end of this rotation minutes that will sort of. You know, we can rely on him for whatever he gets. I don't know, 12 points a game. 16, who knows? But, uh, and then, uh, what's this guy from Atlanta? Just, oh man, I'm, just, I'm fucking up here at your podcast. That's good. Reddish? No, um, they signed that center and I can't think of Oh, dead. Yeah. So, like, you, you can fill in with these guys that, like, theoretically, if you have Fox and Bagley, like, pretty good little little young core you add like your your steady veterans and then you're actually on a, on a level that is you know maybe almost borderline playoff and now stars really think that's a good situation not just like i could take you to this promised land because i'm perfect yeah well, yeah yeah I just want to point out for Knox's shooting since december 1st if you exclude his 0 for 4 Laker performance from the foul line, he's shooting 85%, which is usually a good sign that, like, the shot's eventually going to come around. Like, Frank has pretty much has been, like, 90% from the line. I don't think he's missed, really, like, a free throw in quite some time. So, like, so you know, like, the shot is eventually going I mean, to... Frank has basically up. been Michael Jordan for the last six games, so... I mean, he really he really has been, which has been <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. Just a two-way megaforce that just no one can handle him he just he gets the line so easily his you know two times at the line and he's just just crushing it yeah, but, but you uh, know, like with, with frank like see like this is a perfect example with frank like like i honestly I, I i do believe right now with mike miller i think he is like figuring it out i think he's figuring out how to like have an impact and how to play with impact like play with force every single night that he's out there and I'm pretty sure, like, he is held out today because of his sore groin. He's been listed with the sore groin for a while. So I'm, I'm gonna give Mike Miller a little bit of benefit of doubt and assume that some of the minutes stuck with him might have been like a minutes restriction type thing. I don't know that for sure. Um, but the fact that he was held out today is maybe that. But like, ir- irrespective of that, like, and and I, trust me, I get annoyed. I wish he played more minutes. But in the minutes he's playing now, like, you're starting to see every night. It's not like. You remember how annoying it would be where he would have like these three game stretches where it was like two points, one assist, nothing else, zero points, zero rebounds, two assists. You know, like you'd have these and you're like, what did you do on the floor tonight for 20 minutes? Like, you, like if I watch the game, sure, I can be like, well, he did this defensive thing and he would have had this. But it's like, you know, you just look at the box where you're like, what are you doing every night? What are you doing out here every night? But now you look at the box scores he's putting in every night. He's getting you some points. He's not just getting you some points. He's taking like, like he he's taking like a shot every couple minutes now, which sounds stupid when you think about it. But it's like, think about what that means. He he played fifteen. Yeah, he he played fifteen minutes last last game against New Orleans. He had seven shots, seven shot attempts. He had four assists. He had three rebounds. Like you look back through the last six seven games, and like you're seeing that now from him every single night. And it's like, and then when you talk about, I mean, you made a joke about he's getting to the line or whatever, but like 
he's getting the line now. And it's because he's, like, getting to the rim more. He's driving more. And he's using his body. Like, he's kind of figuring out, like, oh, I'm a big guard. Like, I should probably be able to, like, use my body better. And I, like, it sounds so stupid. And it sounds dumb for us because we're, like, watching it. And you're watching this fucking guy for two and a half years. Like, Frank, you are, like, a gigantic octopus compared to everybody that defends you. Please use that to your advantage. But it takes time. Like, and with Kevin, like... I really cannot stress that I think that he <laughs> – I'm just going to – he's not a high IQ player, okay? Like the guy is not thinking the game at a high level. Um, and it takes time to get him up to speed and like to coach him up. And it's like, you know, all Fizdale did with this fucking guy for his rookie season was tell him to like go get his and be a dog <laughs> and like take fucking 17 shots a game no matter where they were or how he got them. You know, like that's what he did for as a rookie. So imagine coming back. So you come back and now it's like, okay, Kevin, well, we want you to take like only high, like we want you to be the ultimate Mori ball player now. Like, wait, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, okay, fine. I'll do that. And then he's, then he started, oh, I want Kevin to be an all defensive player. Like, shut up, man. What do you mean? Now you, now you want him to be fucking all defense? Like, you didn't give a shit about this last year. Uh, it's just, you got, you got to give him time to like, and patience, really. You, you like, we have to have patience as an organization and like understand where you drafted this kid and what it means, like what it meant that he was a project. Okay. Because with Frank, he was a project in a very different way. It was like his offensive game was so fucking raw, right? Like he was so raw coming into the NBA and obviously physically too. Um, whereas with Kevin, it's like, yes, he is raw still offensively, like in terms of kind of having the, skills to be a shot creator but like with him more than that i think it's like just mental understanding and like just an iq level understanding of the game you have to build that with him and and even with mitch too like he was not this savant when he came in either right and like you still see like stretches like we're seeing now where he just gets frustrated and does stupid shit and like it's annoying but you know, that's the struggle. That's what you have to work through with these guys to get them consistent and make them consistent players. And then maybe in year three, year four, whatever, you're going to start seeing like the consistent dividends of that. And I feel like we're seeing that with Frank now. And I know that people are going like, oh, you, you always make excuses for this kid. It's not really an excuse. It's like really just the reality of it. And, you know, whatever you say, like, he is starting to like make an impact every night. I mean, he was the only person against fucking Utah that looked like he had a pulse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I just, yeah, I, I really hope that we don't make any, I just don't want to trade. Like I, I wouldn't trade RJ. I, I think RJ and Mitch are basically like untradeable. Uh, and I think Frank and Knox mostly should be off the table. I mean, look, none of these guys should be like completely off the table unless if, the Bucks are like, we want to trade Giannis. Like, okay, uh, sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously in those situations, you trade guys, but I don't see that happening. And so for where we are organizationally, you know, fucking just develop these guys. And like, for that matter, get Ignis up here, get fucking Wayne, get Portis, get these fucking two losers out, get Wooten up here, like, get these young guys in here and, and see what you have with them. Like, what else are we going to do? Like, Bobby Portis isn't winning us games anyway. So, you know, <laughs> like, I think also there's, there's complications in defense of, of both of them. I think Frank 
And I, I'm sorry, I thought I could get through a podcast without mentioning Porzingis's name, but I'm going to do it. I think you have Frank, to use one of his. You have to use one of his insulting nicknames. Uh, I think um, I don't know the Russian doll. Um, <laughs> 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 because Milikina, I think Milikina was drafted and thought of initially as a project, even though he played about 1,500 minutes at Sevilla. Um, in a very high league, like he was seen as a project. So what he did his rookie season from the jump was considered ahead of schedule. I think on some level, Frank came over and I think expectations had been, um, had been loosened a bit among people because what well, we just saw this no name European prospect do really well. And Frank's story is like, it's the story you want to sell. Like he's a defense, like he's a, an unselfish defensive player. And yeah, he's a project, but, and even though he only played about 500 minutes in a much lesser role in a less, in a slightly lesser league, I think he suffered because he was so much more of a project than Porzingis that I think where Frank is along his progression, it's very slower than some people like, but his path is more what you expect the eighth pick in the draft, you know, seventh or eighth, project to be than a guy that you looked into at number four. And I think Knox on top of Ishwin pointed out the change in his role this year and Fisdale doing whatever the hell he was doing. Last season, Knox was second on the team in minutes per game, and now he's ninth. So not only have you changed what you're asking him to do, completely changed his role and you've minimized his, his time out there to do it. And I think like you were saying before about the mental state, Stingy and Ishwin, like, I'm 41, and like anytime anything in my career feels like a step back, like I feel like existentially threatened. He's like 20, and suddenly it's like, okay, you're going to play 20 minutes a game, and we're just going to have you do this instead. Okay, go do it. I, I, I think we ask a lot of these guys. I think, I think your point is good about reminding us what a project actually means. Yeah, it's yeah. Defi- it's definitely necessary because I I I don't think now we already discussed a lot of it just the idea of just like people not understanding specifically like you know expectations versus reality and what we're getting into but you guys Schwinn mentioned the idea of like getting people out of the way to bring up some of these younger players the uh, trade deadline is slowly approaching I think it's less than a month away now right it's it's early February this year earlier now yeah. I believe yeah, it's 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 not it's before All Star break. Yes, yeah. So we're almost there. There is, I think, from what I've read, there is a specific deadline too for uh, bringing up Wooten as well to actually like sign him with the big team because otherwise, yeah. I think other teams can sign him. So I think I think the ten day stuff starts on January fifteenth. I believe. Okay, yeah, which is only like three, three days. days. Three days from when we were recording, which would be two days for uh, when the podcast is released. And I, I think you know, there's also been stuff in the news with Andre Drummond. We're going to briefly mention that in a moment, but I kind of want to discuss, like, at some point the Knicks do got to make a trade, and hopefully in the next couple days, because there's just certain guys who just don't have a purpose, I, I would say, anymore. Like, there's no point in me watching any more Bobby Portis. Uh, Wayne Ellington doesn't have a role anymore on this team now that uh, – Bullock is back. Like, there's got to be some moves now. 
And I don't know what the front office is like waiting for because we're seeing all these highlights with Wooten and he's someone that this team would be really ecstatic to have because you could more or less play that type of like, you know, lob threat role with him and Mitch for pretty much 48 minutes a game if you wanted to do that. And they're not, which is surprising. And I would also throw in like Peyton because I'm also just tired of uh, Alfred Peyton too. And that could be a a different subject. I just wonder what your guys' thoughts are like. Why hasn't there been any trades? Why hasn't there been anything like movement going on with well, this I team? I know first and foremost is that I'm pretty sure that the 15th is also like the first day when you can trade uh, re-signed mm-hmm. and bird rights players. Yeah, like no, Tobias not. Harris can get traded now on January. Nah, right. So that like may be like sort of a sticking point unless there was a perfect trade on the market. You know what I mean? Okay. That might be a sticking point for a lot of teams. Like, we're not really entertaining anything until then. So that might be part of it. And there's also only been one trade in the entire league. That's not, right? I think was it was the, uh, what was the trade again? Exum for Clarkson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it. So, like, I understand that, like, because I feel the same way. I'm like, what the fuck are you waiting for? Get rid of these guys. But it's like, look, man, if nobody else in the NBA is making deals... That should tell you something. This is not just like a Knicks thing. It takes two te- like, you know, you can't just mm-hmm. trade, you can't just force a trade, right? I mean, you can. We've done that many times before. It usually works out really fucking shitty when you force a trade. Um, but like, you have to make, you have to find the right trade. And like, look, to me, there are some of these guys, I wouldn't even, like, if, if there is nothing out there, and look, maybe they've had discussions, so maybe they know that like, yes, once we, Get to a certain point. We got this trade for Wayne Ellington. We got this trade for Bobby Portis. Blah blah blah. Whatever. If they you did know the that same stuff, thing when they signed all these guys, right? Like, so if you know that, that's fine. But like, if <laughs> if you don't, then then you're you're playing a dangerous game, right? So like, I think that you know somebody like Wayne Ellington. Look, it sucks. S- signed him for eight million. If you gotta just bite the bullet, bite the bullet. Whatever. I don't care. Um, because like. To me, Wooten is just like, I've seen enough of this guy. I don't know if he's gonna, if that'll translate to the NBA or whatever, but like, there's clearly talent there. Physical, and he has physical talent, like, it would put him in the, the 99th percentile in the NBA. Completely honest. Like, his leaping ability is fucking. Is off the charts. It seems it's crazy. Ridiculous. Um, He's got good it's, defensive instincts, though, too. He's not just, yeah. like, a one-trick pony there. Right, right. And it's like he, he can use that leaping ability in a productive way, right? Um, yeah, so you just got to get him up here. So whoever that is, I don't care who it is that has to go, somebody got to go. You got to get Ivan, somebody out Ivan Rabb can be waived. Yeah, fuck Ivan Rabb. <laughs> the reason we signed him to a two-way contract is because Fizz loved him or something. Like, fuck that. Like, I don't Yeah, care. it's like a Memphis reclamation project, right? Get, get, get all the Fizz's guys out of here, right? <laughs> like, that should be step one. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really want, I think at the minimum, you gotta get rid of Portis and you gotta get rid of Ellington. Um, and like, obviously it would be nice to get a certain package for Marcus Morris or like, you know, get Alfred Payton out of here, which isn't gonna happen because Scott Perry loves him. Um, it's, they have a baby. Yeah, probably. I think that baby thing is hopefully Cade Cunningham. Um, yeah, so hopefully, uh, I don't know. I just think it's it's time. Um, I hope that by next week we have 
seeing some trades happen. Uh, Alonzo Trier, that guy. I mean, look, if you're not going to play him, I, like, I don't even like him, but you got to feel bad for him to an extent. It's like, if you're not going to play the guy, you get him somewhere where he's at least going to get some minutes because he's a young guy trying to, like, you know, make his make way in. Yeah. And, like, say, How would you explain to a, a Nick fan who went into a coma 12 months ago and woke up right now why the consensus is I want Trier's not playing and I want him off the team versus 12 months ago, wow, what a great pick. I'm so glad we signed him. The next day, something good. Like, what would you tell the coma patient to explain that to them? You've well, been wrong the whole time. Trier has always sucked. <laughs> I wouldn't I would... say wrong the whole time. What I would say is he, he showed stuff in, in his. Well, no, he showed stuff in his first season coming out of undrafted, uh, showing like ice, an efficient isolation game. And then we were like, okay, the next step in what he has to do is be more off the ball, be more unselfish, and like. You know, show some competitive edge on defense, and he pretty much stagnated completely from year one to year two, and I w- maybe not even stagnated, almost like regressed. Like he's a terrible defensive player. He's yeah, shown he's no- worse on defense now. Yeah, like he's worse on defense uh, this year than uh, than last year by like a significant margin. Like you could like, I think I would make the argument, for example, like year one to year two for Frank, he also regressed defensively a bit, <laughs> but he was still like a good defender like when you're like a bad defender and you aggress to awful defender in year one or year two you're not really getting anywhere and his offense again he, he showed no he has shown zero um off the ball game he has like no interest in it and that would be great for him because he should be just like spotting up and coming after screens because he can shoot but he just isn't willing to do it and he's causing like a stink about it and he's older than what people think i think he's like 24 23 24 like he's not like 20 years old and show all this guy like he's he's older and honestly like the way the knicks have been playing under miller it's it's not like he he wants more unselfishness and trier doesn't allow that to happen and if you're not and for him kind of like Knox in a way where if he's not producing on offense at a very hyper efficient rate he's pretty much useless as a player so that's why i just i just don't see him as like a future like he could on a different team that likes to play isolation ball like the rockets or something sure that'd be great but other than that i just don't see a role for him on this team i mean the rockets should like actually trade for a trier yeah no it would make sense for like how the rockets play because trier can make the pass when he wants to like he could do these little things and that would be an offense for him that makes more sense but anything that's like you know, well, play when Trier like, when Trier gets a, uh, an assist, it's never like within the flow of a good no, team oriented set. It's like after he slows everything down and like runs a pick and roll, and then like he'll hit like maybe for the the roll man for a lob or like something like that. You know, like that's how he gets assists. He doesn't get anything in the flow of the offense, and that's like the most annoying thing about him because he'll get you all these numbers, and then you'll look at at the end of the day, and you're like, okay, but like. Yeah, the somehow, team's not by 10. What happened? Yeah, somehow we played worse with you on the floor? Like, what the hell happened here? Um, it, it's, uh, the truer stuff is just like, if, if I had to explain to a coma patient, I would just be like, um, yeah, so we were just wrong and he's like, not gonna get better at the stuff we want him to get better at. And that sucks. But like, I mean, also, here's the thing is, the Knicks identify, he has NBA talent. He clearly has NBA talent. So it like, the Knicks did well to identify a guy that has NBA talent as an undrafted rookie free agent, 
But the, like the value of that changes as you go on in the NBA because he's no longer on this cheap night. He's on a cheap deal. He's getting paid three point five million dollars this year. He's on like and I think he's a free agent. Coming yeah, up season two. and he's a restricted free agent at the end of this year, right? And so like for us, like like to me, I think you trade him to a team that's just like we'll give you like a couple second rounders or something. Like I think the Rockets, right? They have some. I don't know if they have second rounders or whatever trade. I think that would be a good trade for them because it's like they can't. They're so far over the cap as it is, right? So they're that they're not getting like they're not going to be a player in free agency. So you can trade for Trier, and then you have the matching rights on him, so you can go over the cap to like keep him on your team or whatever. And he fits into like kind of their bullshit style of play. Um, so you know what that seems like a pretty decent trade for them. And you know, Maury hasn't been very good at like identifying young talent most for the most part either. So um, the Rockets you know. do have their picks plus the Memphis uh, pick in the second round. Cool. Yeah, let's do that, man. I'm down. Like, you know, whatever. That that's good with me. So do that. And then like, I don't know. And then same thing with Dennis Jr. because I I I'm I'm honestly more out on Dennis Jr. than I am on Trier. Because like at least with Trier, no matter what, that man has full confidence in himself. And like he knows exactly what he wants to do no matter what, which is uh that's the the, the problem for the most part. But with Dennis Smith, it's like, I don't even know what the fuck happened to this guy, man. Because Keith Smart and David Fisdale happened to him. It's like, this guy looks like he... I mean, I remember him at NC State, and I didn't really like him that much at NC State um, to begin with. But, like, I was never worried about him, like, just... I mean... Not having no confidence or like, I mean, this hitch in his shot that's come up since like he's got traded to New York. It's just all this weird shit going on with him. Uh, he's like totally, he like, he told us what well, his old thing was he didn't eat Bojangles this entire summer, but like, I'm like, look at him and I'm like, are you really in the best shape of your life? That's how he got a leak injury. Yeah, but it's like, it's like, I swear he was in way better shape as a rookie in Dallas. Um, well, he also played better as a rookie at Dallas too. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I think a lot of with Smith, I think he really wants to be the guy, be the man, and like when he isn't afforded that, he just sort of is a shrinking violet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree well, with you. Well, that's well, that's doesn't sound like a player, especially at the point guard for like his production and what he does for a team. It just doesn't make any sort of sense. His his defense is completely erratic. Like sometimes he's good. Most of the time he's awful. Like I don't know. I don't get him. I think I will say I think the difference between Trier and Smith is that I know Trier has talent. I just don't like the way he plays versus Dennis Smith, where like not only do I not like the way he plays, he just doesn't play well the way he plays either, which really makes him difficult to just deal with. He's another person. I would just almost like anything at some point, right? Like if any team wants to give anything for Smith, I would just say sure, right? Doesn't that make the most sense at this point now? Because I don't think he's ever going to reach a point where he's going to like up his trade value anytime, anywhere, because it also doesn't help the, the Knicks moving forward either. Yeah, I, I just just move him, man. Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like I don't. Yeah, it doesn't we, really matter we, what the package. We have is a like. we have a better fucking young guard prospect on the roster. Like if you if you're gonna get Dennis Jr. right, this is this is what I would tell Dennis Jr. Hey, are you are you willing to spend most of the rest of the season down in the G League. 
If you're willing to do that, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll work with you and we're going to keep you here. But if you're not willing to do that, then, then you got to get rid of him. Because I do not, like, I'm not spending NBA minutes on this fucking guy dribbling around like a doofus, no clue what he wants to do, wasting entire shot clocks, can't figure out his fucking ass, like, he, he can't, he can't even pretend to understand what a good shot is. He is a fucking space cadet on defense most of the time. Like, I cannot done with that. Like, we have enough. I can't waste, you know, Kevin Knox's time, Mitch's time, and our, like, we have other young guys that, like, right. need you NBA. Scoop. Like, you need NBA players around them. Okay? Like, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we don't need to be good NBA players, but they gotta be NBA players. And right now, Dennis Jr. is not playing like an NBA player. He's playing like a fucking CB, like a Chinese Basketball Association backup. You know, he like really he, is, he's playing terrible, and it's not worth it to him. It's it's actually even worse for him because I feel like he knows he's playing like shit. So he goes out there and he's he's terrified. Like, you know, there's some games where I swear to God he doesn't want the ball, which is the craziest thing for me to think because Dennis Jr. not wanting the ball is bonkers to me. Um, I I just I, I don't like. If if he's not going to be willing to go down to the G League, then we gotta we gotta find another home for him and, and find him. And t- like you know, it's not necessarily the worst thing if he went to some place that was just like, you know, like like I don't think Markel Fultz has his nice little resurgence story if he gets traded to New York. I don't think so because I think that he needed to go to a team that nobody gives a shit about and like people can easily forget about and there's not a story there. I think Dennis Jr. might need the same thing like. He can go to fucking Minnesota and like when he gets traded to Minnesota, he's not constantly going to be held up as, Oh, he was such a key piece of the Porzingis trade, right? Like whatever. He'll just be a guy they, they took a shot on. There's no pressure on him there. Right? Like that, that's just, mm-hmm. and, and nobody gives a fuck about Minnesota. Nobody gives a shit about the Timberwolves. So he can go figure out his life there. But I mean, no one really know. cares about the Pistons either. Maybe he could be part of a, uh, Andre Drummond trade. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but that, that's just I, I just I want I think it's best for us and really best for them to get them the fuck out of New York with Zoe and, and DSJ. I just I don't know. No, I'm totally with you and I tried to force in that segue to talk about the I guess rumors of the Andre Drummond trade. Like I know I was on vacation, I just saw like I log on Twitter and I see a couple of reports and Knicks fans are losing their minds over if you actually read the reports from Shams, and was it Vince Goodwell? That, uh, Vince Ellis. Oh, Vince Ellis? Who's Vince Goodwell? Is that another guy? Did I just make up that guy? No, Vince Goodwell is an international guy for Yahoo. Oh, okay. Well, Vince Ellis and, uh, Shams. You made him up and you're having a baby. Oh, that's nice. Is it a boy or a girl? I don't know. You make it up. Okay. I'm going to have a, a boy, I guess. But, um, so Shams reported that the Knicks sure, and. Know. Yeah, the Knicks and Detroit were talking about trading for Andre Drummond, and Knicks fans lost their mind, and I'll be honest, I don't understand why, and I thought it was really silly to lose your mind over, I don't know, just a report about a discussion, more or less. Like, I, I would like to speak for the crazy Knicks fans here. Okay, go ahead, Miranda. We'll, we'll, we'll argue about this, so go ahead. The, the reality of maybe Detroit called and they wanted to discuss, fine. Maybe the Knicks are doing due diligence and just checking everything. Fine. As long as it's not Barrett and Mitch, who really cares? I will say that given that as recently as seven or eight months ago, 
in in Nick in the Nick universe, we're thinking maybe Zion, maybe Durant, maybe Kyrie, and then shortly after that, we're pit, we're being sold. Okay, like we got some some quality veterans, and we're going to be competitive, and they're all on movable deals. So like you know, we're making the best of the situation, and 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 to now, I I did not think I didn't know how the season would go. I didn't think they were a playoff team. I didn't think Fizdale would would be what he was. Um, but I did not think that before the All-Star break, I would be dealing with Andre Drummond trade rumors. It's not so much about, oh my God, like, I can't believe they're thinking of trading XYZ, because I haven't heard anything catastrophic, but it's very weird to me that, like, this is where we are now. Like, and, and I know that that doesn't take into account that Drummond may not be a piece they're thinking of investing in. They might just think, we'll trade for him, and like Schwinn said, maybe, Mitch learns something, or maybe the guy opts out right away and it doesn't matter and you've got some cap space. But when I see that they might trade Randall in a deal for Andre Drummond, like, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to accept that you cut your losses with Fizdale and yeah, you are the ones who hired Mike Miller. So I'll, I can even be like, okay, you saw a mistake and you rectified it. But if in July it's Julius Randall is, we think, a good piece for us going forward and a few months later, it's Andre Drummond. Like I'm officially thinking that this front office doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. Can I counter by asking? Of I just want to ask this question because this is more or less maybe I think I just have a different perspective on it that it's primarily in like a really low minority, and it's why do these narratives matter? I think because specifically in the case. I think for myself and maybe for some of the people, I do think the reaction was absurd over just a report about a discussion. But I would say the narrative matters in this case specifically because the Knicks are, um, there's a, there's a school of analysis called diabolical reading, which posits that like every single thing means something. Like when you cross the street and there's a don't walk sign, like you can read everything. Everything means something in, in some grand narrative. Because the Knicks can never sell sustainability, they can't sell success, they don't sign major free agents, they don't keep their draft picks, and they don't keep their coaches. The only thing I feel I have to hold on is this grand narrative where I'm trying to read the tea leaves so I can see the point in the story where it's starting to turn around. So more with other organizations, I feel like, like other teams that I root for, I don't get caught up in this like larger narrative arc because... The other teams, the Mets give me something. It's up and down, but they give me something. Manchester City gives me something. All the Knicks give me is, okay, that didn't work, but, but you're going to love this. And it's been literally <laughs> decades of it. So I do feel like, you know what? I don't want to fucking hear right now about Andre goddamn Drummond. I don't want to hear it. That's, that's one reason why I could see someone being like, no, 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 no. That's so fucking beautiful. Yeah, that I was that. No, that was a uh, that was a really good response because I think from what you're saying, Professor, is that I think I just don't care about narrative. Yeah, I don't like. I think it's just this might be a me thing because you're articulated it really well. It's just like I think it's a me thing. Like I don't care unless it actually happens. So if they did decide to be like, all right, we're trading Mitch and Frank for Drummond, then I honestly I would be like, I'm done with everything. Associated with the Knicks if they did something as stupid as that. But then I also kind of think of it as if they actually made a trade and they're like, oh, it's Bobby Portis and Dennis Smith Jr. for Andre Drummond. I would be like, actually, that's a good deal because you could do something mm-hmm. 
with it. I just, I don't know. I think I only care about the actual event occurring rather than like the story that generates from it. Cause like, I just, anything that comes with like this background stuff for the Knicks, when it comes to whether it's like Dolan or is Perry good or is Mills been here for like 25 years too long to me, I, I just don't care. I just care what happens like on the court and the results that actually happen in terms of signings and trades and draft picks. Like, I, I think that's just a me thing then if that's the case and I'm projecting that other people should probably maybe think the way I do. And I don't think that's necessarily fair. No, see like my thing with, okay. So if I believed that Scott Perry and Mills, like if I truly, the, what they could do to make me believe like, Hey, look, we do have a plan is to trade some of these vets for picks or whatever. Not all. They don't need to trade all trade some for picks. Free up time for the kids and just like play the young guys more in the second, down, down the stretch, the second half of the season. Okay. That's it. That's all I want because that to me indicates like a realistic plan of like, we're not trying to like fake compete. We don't think this team is like definitely ready to go somewhere. Like we're being realistic. Um, so I'm cool with that. What the problem is, is that we don't have that level of belief yet in them. So like when you see a rumor about Andre Drummond, you're like, are you, are you changing the plan again? Whereas if they had some credibility, I could look at that and be like, Oh, so you're, Oh, you want to trade for a guy? Maybe basically, hopefully just an exchange of contracts that mean nothing and get a mentor for Mitch for this. Like, or, you know, maybe even if he opts in next year, we're not doing anything next year anyway. So, like, you get a free extra look year of looking at this guy and maybe he's he's pretty young. So maybe he can be a piece long term or, you know what I mean? Like, you can give them some benefit, of the, but they don't have that credibility. So you're still kind of like, uh, what are we doing? Why are we training for Arnie Drummond? And, like, I don't think we should trade for Arnie Drummond. I wouldn't They're care if it was – like, I wouldn't – I but I also wouldn't care if it was just like, yeah, we'll give you, like, Bobby Portis and – fucking Wayne Ellington and somebody or whatever for, you know, or and like fake assets like DSJ and Zoe or something for mm-hmm. Drummond. I wouldn't care about that. But, like, I can't imagine Detroit would do such a deal, so... No, that would be a terrible whatever. deal for Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, one, I think Shams, there was one report that said the Knicks initiated talks, and another report that said that the Pistons initiated talks. But, like, I think that stuff is so subjective. It could be something where, like, the Knicks call the Pistons about, you know, maybe they're just like, hey, look, like, uh, if you're ever dealing either Drummond, let us know. And then maybe the Pistons call them and let them know, like, hey, uh, we would like to trade, uh, Andre Drummond for Frank Nilakina and some bullshit contracts of yours, right? Like, so who initiated the talk? Who do we, like, who initiated the trade talk then, right? That shit's so subjective to me, and I don't care about that. Like, the only thing we know for a fact, and this is like, or not for a fact, but I guess, uh, reported very strongly, was one, both Shams and Vince Ellis said that there was basically, Shams said there's no traction, and Vince Ellis said that a Knicks, a Knicks source <laughs> said that, like, like, there was nothing there. Um, and we know that they asked for Frank. So, like, presumably, the Knicks, told them to fuck off um which is a good thing i see that as a good thing um and then we also know begley has reported that the knicks don't seem willing to trade frank anymore which is also a good thing um 
But yeah, I mean, like, Drummond in and of itself doesn't mean anything. But I guess it's more like, I I would be, I don't actually mind them making quote-unquote win-now moves. Like, if those are moves that have add pieces that are that can be valuable to us and fill in needs that we have moving forward. Like, if if we traded for Bogdanovich from Sacramento. I mean, depending, obviously all of this is always subject to, like, you know, whatever the cost is, right? But, like, mm-hmm. that would be a guy, if you trade for him, I'm fine with that. Because he's, like, 26, 27. So you can lock him up through his prime. He gives you another ball handle. He gives you, like, a pull-up shooting threat that we absolutely do not have. Uh, he's a fucking sniper. I think he's, like, a 40% on volume guy from three. Um, so it's like that is a player who adds dimensions to your team, not just for now, but also for like the next two, three, four years. If you resign him, presumably you would resign him if you trade for him. Um, or like, you know, trade for somebody like Wancho or stuff like that. I'm cool with. I'm fine with stuff like that. I even would love, I would love for them to do things like that. I don't want, like the Drummond stuff just feels like a fake, like big name bullshit something trade. That doesn't really do anything. Sting, Professor, any any sort of responses to what we said? I mean, the one thing I'll say is at least the the big name guy is a guy that's expiring uh, in a year. Theoretically, I guess he has a he has a player option, I believe. So yeah. maybe it's one more year. But in any case, it's like at least it's not Kevin Love, who's got whatever three or four more years on his deal. He's already thirty two or three or something like. I don't know. It's it's a it's a move I don't want to make either for Drummond, but uh, I don't know. I've heard worse things for sure. So is there so is there any? So I think we kind of mentioned a number of things. Is that basically none of the young players? Like if the Knicks do wind up trading for Drummond, you're basically fine if it's not any of you know Knox, Frank. Etc. Pretty much, right? Like RJ and them. No, but it's not ideal, right? It's pretty to, much it. To me, uh, I would not trade Frank, Mitch, or RJ, um, and I also personally would like to hold on to Morris. But I mean, I understand that that's probably unlikely. Um, so would you yeah. rather? So you're probably rather trade Julius Randle before Morris? Yeah. So what would happen if you kept more? If you say this is what you want, you want to keep Morris. What happens if he leaves? If he, he leaves, that's fine. I mean, it sucks, but it's fine. But it, wouldn't it, you? Like, if 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 they keep Morris and he bounces, and we like, let's say that you also, it comes out that like we definitely could have had a like, a first round pick for him. Wouldn't that you would have to hold that against them, right? I mean, or where do you fall on that? I guess. No, I don't necessarily blame them for not being able to automatically have a better situation than what Morris might find on the market. But I think he is kind of the defining uh, character of this team right now, and or for so far the season anyhow. And um, I think he's also sort of showing the younger guys like hey, you do need to take control and sort of showing them ways and times when they can. And I think it's been beneficial. I mean, you can definitely see it with Frank. He's like, Morris actively made sure that uh, Nelikino was getting the ball 
to get it up the floor when Julius Randle and you know back when Fizdale was around was you know just unwilling to pass the ball to anyone. And I think like those little things like that you know it's not a stat, but it just like shines through. And I think that is the like that kind of player builds that type of confidence in your in your youth, which theoretically you're trying to help them develop. So. You know, I, I think he's. It's worth risking uh, going into free agency with him. Yeah. Um, I, 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 uh, Miranda, what do you? What are your thoughts? I'm actually curious about what you think about that. I kind of fall along the line of, and I, be, I don't think you're getting a good pick for. I, I'm not trading Marcus Morris to get the 27th pick in the draft, and I feel. Like, like Stingy said a bit, I think there's value off the stat sheet in letting the players see, okay, here's a guy who, like, you might want to emulate him off the court because he's going to make himself, like, probably a lot of money with the movie made last year. You might want to emulate him on the court because even though this guy has played before for a winner, like, you're seeing all season how he prepares, how he brings it, like, all the time, even knowing this is a short-term marriage and a team is not competing. Last year, which was kind of universally seen as, okay, this is a development year. This is for the kids. This is for the babies. Of the Knicks' top 11 minutes earners, only two were older than 25. This year is seen much more as like, okay, we want to be competitive. We want to be more of like an established organization. And it's exactly the same. They only have two guys over 25 in their top 11 minutes. Last year, it was Hardaway and Cantor. I don't know if the players learned anything from them, and if they did, I hope they forgot it. But this year, it's Taj Gibson and Marcus Morris. I don't have a problem with this still very young developing team getting the chance to have an entire season. You'll hear sometimes, like, older teams will mention, you know, veteran, like, Chauncey Phillips, I can't remember now who it is, but he talks about some veteran from early in his career who was not a player you would ever give a second thought to, but it just made an impression on him on like how to how to prepare himself. I feel like especially for an organization that struggles on a management and even coaching level to have sustainable success, I think it's more valuable for the Knicks than another team to have that consistent veteran presence rather than picking twenty eighth. Um I'm the Spurs, so- I'll take the twenty eighth pick. Maybe the old Spurs, maybe not anymore. But like, if I'm a different organization, I'll take 28 and I'll bank on the fact that we have a system. If I'm the Heat, I'll take 28 for James Johnson. Like, fine, I won't think twice about that. But if I'm the Knicks, I would view it differently. So, I have like, I think there are like a few things with um. Okay, so if they keep Morris, it has to be like I think if they keep Morris and they don't re-sign him. That is like a fireable offense to me. I, I don't care. Like, I know that there's extenuating circumstances and you can never be sure and blah, blah, blah. But like, if you pass up on trading him at the deadline and then he walks for nothing, uh, and I don't necessarily disagree with anything of what you or, uh, Stingy said about like, you know, I, I do think that there's like cultural value to having Morris here, um, and all of that. But like, you know, if, if you're, if you lose the guy after a year, for basically nothing, and you've given him all this playing time, and you know all this stuff, you've invested in him really as much as you know you paid him. But like you have invested 
actual minutes on the court into him. Um, like I, I really think you have to keep him at that point. And if you don't, it's a, it's a massive failure of management. Um, that said, like, I think beyond just what he does for, um, the kids on the court, which I think is like a real thing. Um, they all genuinely, like I've, I've said this so many times, but like he feels like the big brother. Like they, I think they all really, really look up to him. Um, I think that being on the court with him kind of gives them confidence. Uh, like I, I think he kind of has a, he has a positive influence in that sense. Um, he's always been like, you know, uh, they, they mention it all the time. Like even, even Kevin said today something about how like, he keeps getting shot like he, you know, all the vets are still in his ear about like staying positive and staying confident. And like, he's like, I shoot with El- Wayne all the time. And like, you know, that stuff matters for sure. Um, and, and I think also with Morris is he's a player that who I think really commands respect around the league. I'm not saying he doesn't, obviously he's not like a star or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you know, guys on the NBA, like, like people don't fuck with Marcus Morris, you know, like I've, Every game I watched of us this year, guys that fuck with him, like he handles that real quick, and it doesn't happen again. You know, it it, it gets done real quick, um, like the first preseason game against Washington or whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> um, but like, I think that stuff matters, and you know, I absolutely despise Spencer Dinwiddie. I think somehow Miranda actually despises him more than me. Um, but nice. like, but he is. One thing I have always kind of like thought had value that he gave the Nets organization beyond like the bullshit, like, oh, they developed him. They're such gods of development. Blah, blah, Sean Mark's a fucking genius. Um, like he's been such a cheerleader for the organization publicly. Um, and I do think that stuff matters. Like I do think that matters when you're trying to recruit players. It's a zero, like there, there's a finite amount of talent in the NBA. So like, you know, the Knicks have dealt with this shit where, like, none of the players they bring in have clout. And then, like, yeah, everybody just has, like, these weird experiences in New York. And it's, like, the only thing that ever gets traction nationally is all the, like, horrible things people say about the Knicks. Whereas, like, I think with Marcus Morris, you have a guy that I'm not going to say can change the narrative, but he is somebody that, like, you know, when he says, like, I've had a great time with the organization. I love this organization. I think everything here is good. Like, I think that matters. Like, I truly don't like, like when he says it and I, I've believed this this entire year, but like, I don't really think things internally, especially after Fizdale got fired. I don't think internally within the organization, there's like, it's that disastrous or anything. Like, I don't sense a lot of like internal conflict, which is kind of surprising considering the nature of the contracts they signed and like some of the players being, you know, somewhat volatile personalities and shit. But like, I think they've done a pretty good job of finding a group of people from the players on up that are fairly cohesive together. And, um, like that stuff matters. So like when Marcus Morris is delivering that message and he can be a cheerleader for your organization publicly, I think that does resonate. And maybe that does help change the narrative and not just the narrative, whatever, like, the fucking actual like kind of view of the team like how people view it how players view it how you know whoever the fuck views it i i, I do think that matters and i think to some extent uh i feel the same way about reggie uh with with what is it B- block right block 
Um, yeah, Bullock. I just I won't do it, but it's Bullock. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel that way a little bit about him too. Not necessarily in the sense that he has like commands the kind of respect Morris does, but I think it reflects well in the organization in terms of like they've they've really this year with I mean unfortunate uh, family situations with Bullock with uh, Dennis Smith Jr. with Randall. I think it reflects well on the org in terms of like how they've handled that stuff and just kind of like let these guys come back on their own time. And even with Bullock, like how they handled the situation last summer where they were like, look, this came up in your fucking medical. So we have to revise your contract, but we still want you here. And like, let's work something out. You know, I, you know, this stuff isn't going to like change any of the old mixed narrative, but I do wonder if like these little, you know, things make their way through the NBA grapevine and, you know, in that circle, maybe there is a different, like, view of the Knicks. That, like, hey, look, like, it's not a perfect organization, but they don't treat guys like shit. They treat us pretty well here. And, and I don't know. I, I just wonder if, like, I just always wonder how much that stuff does matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's got to matter. It absolutely has to. And as far as, like, so w- what did they do with, uh, Bull- uh, I'm sorry, it's Bullock. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> uh but yeah, whatever they, what did they do with, did they just effectively like decide, oh, you'll be back in January. So we're going to just like prorate the no, deal so, we already had. So, I forget what they did. So he got, uh, I, I, forget, I think it, originally his contract was supposed to be like two years, 20, 21. I think. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. Two years, 21 million. But something came up in his medical when he signed. So they like had this, they were like, look, we're not going to give you this contract. And then they gave that money. So they had like that 10 million for the first year. And I think they had like 5 million left. So they gave that to Marcus Morris. And then they gave Bullock, uh, the, some exception. I think it might be, I might think it was the biannual exception. They gave him the room exception. Oh, the room exception. Yeah. So that's two yeah. years, 8.4 million, I think. Okay. Or 8.9 million. I don't know. Something like that. But like, I mean, they basically, they reneged, but like not really. They were just like, let's just well, work out. He didn't yeah. pass it, so right? He, is that right? right? So his, his yeah. contract was voided. Okay. And and even his agent, like, he called them fine menches. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> come on, you you should remember that more than anybody. Yeah, come on, stink. Wow, some super Jewish hate right there. But, <laughs> yeah, let's uh. uh... Let's let's end up, no, yeah, let's end the uh, the episode on some Jewish hate, just like <laughs> just like we're supposed to. Um, Stink, what do you want to promote? Um, Antifa suddenly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. Good job. Uh, when's your good. When's your trade article coming out? Uh, I don't know. I think it's not gonna come out. I think, uh, yeah, I had a, we had an editor snafu. Oh. Um, oh, man. Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired at Alex Wolf. Fucking yeah, bum. Where yeah, I what a thought, bum. I thought we were going to do this one other thing real quick. It didn't happen, so I stopped doing my trade thing. And I haven't gone back to it. Maybe I should. I no. promote myself. Go follow me on Twitter. I need 666 followers. I'm a hundred and whatever, four hundred, seven thousand followers away from it. And just follow me on Twitter at Aito, A-I-G-H-T-T-H-O. 
<laughs> All right, Professor, what do you want to what do you want to promote? Uh, I have two pieces this week. I have a next Twilight Zone piece coming out tomorrow on posting. Um, just all tomorrow of, meaning Monday when this is released, or tomorrow Monday, like on Tuesday. Um, Monday, look out for the next Twilight Zone, and then for Wednesday, I am reviewing for Jacobin Magazine the latest JD and the Straight Shot album called The Great Divide. <laughs> oh, um, oh, not a drill. This is happening. Nice. Wait, yeah. did you call? Would you call it the? Jacobin. 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 What is it? What is it Jacobin. actually pronounced as? Jacobin. Jacobin? Jacobin. I, was, uh, I said Jacobin. I thought it was uh, Jacobin, but anyway, I'm definitely excited for both those because Twilight Zone is probably yeah. one of my favorite TV shows. Um, it's definitely Jack Off. Ever. It's Jack, <laughs> Jack Off. Of. It's Jack probably off. like Jack Levine or something. <laughs> Jack yeah. Levine. There was a, a complete inversion between my excitement level to actually write the review and my excitement level at listening to the <laughs> album so far. <laughs> I can't even imagine how uh, how awful this album is. I, I, I can't even. Um, Schwinn, what are you uh, what are you promoting? Um, you don't know. Nothing, nothing man. Uh, okay. Oh, I, I, I saw podcast. I saw 1917. I would definitely recommend anybody to go see that movie um also saw uncut gems which was awesome uh knives I'm out seeing, is awesome i'm seeing one of those three movies on tuesday i haven't decided what though go see uncut gems and do like a fuck ton of cocaine before you go see it that sounds like a plan it's the most stressful movie like it was just so stressful man <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, uh, I'm excited to watch those, because the only one I've seen is uh, Little Women so far, and I actually thought that movie was absolutely fantastic. It's because it was, it was non-linear, and I love meta stuff that's non-linear, so like, it just, it was just straight up my alley. It was, uh, it was good. That's not what I'm talking about. I still haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I still haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm, I'm fine not watching it for right now. Um, I'm trying to see what I can plug. Oh, you know what I want to plug? I find, I listened to the Watchmen podcast with, uh, the guy who created Chernobyl. Basically interviewed uh, Damon Lindelof for uh, for about like three hours, basically in like three different episodes, and you got to hear like all the insight and the like stuff behind what inspired the TV show and uh, the writing and everything like that. So if you love the series as much as I did on uh, HBO, definitely listen to the podcast. You kind of hear everything behind it. I, I thought it was just uh, really interesting because like Lindelof was really inspired by. The riots in like Charlottesville and Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, reparations article in the Atlantic really was like the origin of uh of the series. So if you haven't watched Watchmen, go watch it because it's awesome. And um, listen to the podcast, and then also listen to the Posting and Toasting show. Oh, I want to plug the fact that we get to do this podcast after a win. Oh, that is true. It's it's always nice. We're always in better spirits. Seven games or something. No, I think it's a five game losing streak. A billion game losing streak. I forget. It was five games. It was, yeah, it was five too many, but they beat the Heat, which is always a huge win, no matter whenever. Just it's always great to see the Heat lose, especially when they're, when they're good and they lose to a bad Knicks team. It just makes everything great. They actually lost to the Nets too. They came (laughs) in another, uh, was it comeback victory? So they're just, I'm just happy that, you know, Mike Miller beat an above 500 team. So yeah, so we don't have to hear the the (laughs) Fisdale garbage. God. Oh, he's also like one and one against everybody he lost to. Yeah, 
He's also not a fucking idiot, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But then on that note, um, all right, see ya. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm so touched. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're good at it.